Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Curland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. So, Dominique, we've got a special promotion that we want to share with people and an interesting topic that you want to delve into. So which rabbit hole do you want to go in down first? I'll let, I'll let you decide. Well, you know, I, I often have people ask me, what can I use as a reinforcer other than food for horses? Because with dogs, you know, you can throw a ball, you can, there's a lot that you can do with play. But with a horse, it seems that we're very often kind of stuck with food and carrots and hay pellets. And so people ask me, what else can, can I use as a reinforcer? And that's something that we addressed in our Listen and Learn course. So just uh, for people to Uh, In case people don't know what the Listen and Learn course is, it's an audio course that we did with Mary Hunter. Um, So it's uh, very much in the same format that this podcast is. It's a conversation the three of us have, but Mary also added a lot of accompanying material and which really enriches uh, the conversation. And she also answers, there's an ongoing forum in the course, and she answers uh, questions that people have. And the course is an introduction to applied behavior analysis. That's right. Um, so, and that's that's her field. So we seem it seemed like a great. Uh, she was a great teacher for that because Mary, in addition to being a horse person, she's very very good at explaining everything from basic concepts to some pretty advanced head spinning topics. And she can do it without making your head spin to the point where it hurts. So she was a great co-presenter for the course. She was, yeah. And so we'll have a promotion for our course. We can talk about that later in the podcast. So for those people who are registered, this was episode 21, where we talked about identifying new reinforcers. And one of the way to look at reinforcer that will open up many, many possibilities other than food is to look at reinforcement as a process and not a thing. Because we often think of reinforcers as things like a carrot is a reinforcer. But you can look at reinforcers as behavior. So in this example, the reinforcer would be the activity of eating the carrot rather than the carrot itself. Yes. So, And, and an easy way to, for people to understand that distinction is if you have a, a ball-crazy Labrador retriever, it's not the ball itself that really provides the reinforcement. It's what the dog can do with that ball that is what the dog wants. That's right. You know, if the if the ball were, I don't know, stuck to cement to a sidewalk so that it didn't roll, it didn't do anything, I think after a while the dog would say, 
not really much fun. But it's it's the fact that this Labrador can chase after the ball and then bring it back to you with his tail wagging and so on. That's what makes that activity so very reinforcing for that dog. So I'll give you another example with your Labrador. If I say to you, my, my uh, reinforcement for my Labrador is dirt. Well, what about it? Does he like digging in the dirt? Does he eating like rolling dirt. in the dirt? Yes, or even eating. eating the- Some of them do. Yes. So it's it's the behavior. It's not the dirt, but it's the digging, the rolling, the eating, whatever it is that he fancies yes. that is reinforcing to this animal. So it's another way to look at reinforcement, and I think it's uh, it opens up many possibilities. And as an added bonus, it may also give you new strategies to help you deal with certain unwanted behaviors. But let me first, first things first, let's just talk about using those, we'll, we'll call them high probability behaviors that your learner really wants to engage in. As, as reinforcers. And of course, you know, some of you will be thinking about the pre-MAC principle, and yes, this is what we're talking about, but let's just keep it simple and, you know, think about all the behaviors that your animal really wants to engage in. Yeah, one of the easy ways to think for horses, to think about what what is reinforcing for a horse, is to think about what does your horse mug you to get? And I put mug in quotes. So if your horse is banging on the door of his stall because he wants to be turned out, that's a that's an indication that the turnout, uh, letting him out in his field, is something that he would find reinforcing. We can judge whether food is reinforcing really easily. And for most horses, the answer comes back, yes, absolutely. So one way of identifying things that your horse really wants is, what is he mugging you to get? Does he, uh, in the middle of summer when he's all itchy or in the spring when he's shedding, does he sidle up to you with his backside requesting a a good scratch uh, from his, his primate, that kind of thing? So that's one way of looking for reinforcers. Well, you know, if I could add to that, you know, a lot of the unwanted behaviors that our animal engage in can take, uh, tell us a lot about their reinforcers. Yes. So it's, you know, it's a way to look at unwanted behavior that will make it, um, you know, Instead of being discouraged, it's information about what they want and what you can use if you understand this principle here. So in in the course, Mary Hunter cites what she says is one of her favorite research by a a man named Mr. Homie. This research was done in the 60s and... um, In the notes accompanying the episode, she gives a link to a one-page summary of the research, but it is uh, available on on the internet, and we will put it in the library. It's a one-pager, so it's quick read, um, and it's it's a fabulous research. So um, it was published in 1963 in the Journal of the Experimental Analysis of Behavior. And in the research, they had a bunch of three-year-olds who did not have a lot of experience in sitting, 
you know, in nursery school and focusing on a blackboard or doing quiet group activities. So in the beginning, what they did is they started by giving the children free choice to do whatever they wanted to do. So what they saw was a lot of the children would like to run around the room, scream, push chairs, a lot of things that we might think of as bad behaviors or unwanted behaviors. Then what they did is they took the behaviors that most of the kids like to do, like the running and screaming, and they taught the kids a signal for engaging in those behaviors. So there would be a bell and then they would say something like run and scream. And the children would run around the room and then they would signal the children to stop. And they would have the children stop very briefly and then give the signal again for engaging in some other high probability behavior. So they put all these behaviors that the children liked on cue so they could signal to the children when to engage in them and when to switch to a different behavior. And then, so they were able to put in brief pauses and start using those high probability behaviors to shape up sitting quietly in a circle, paying attention to a teacher talking, and they were able to build up the time in gradual increments until they could have the children sitting and paying attention for a normal period of time for a three-year-old. So instead of punishing the children or forcing them to pay attention, they used all of these silly high-probability behaviors as reinforcers. And I want to read you just one, you know, a couple of sentences from the, from the research which I thought was really interesting. So it says, with this kind of procedure, control was virtually perfect after a few days. For example, when children were requested to sit and look at the blackboard, an activity which in the past had intermittently been interrupted by the signal for some higher probability behavior, they were under such good control that an observer new on the scene, almost certainly would have assumed extensive, aversive control was being used. (laughs) I think that's pretty cool. Yes, definitely. So, I want to, I I just want to add something here because it, it is really cool, but you can see that they've gone through a process. And I think that's where people can get into trouble is you don't just go and ask your child to scream and run all over. You have to go through a teaching process, just like you cannot use grazing as a reinforcer for your horse unless you have taught your horse a signal to put down his head and then another signal to put his head back up and engage with you again. So... You've talked about this, Alex. You you wrote a great article on this, on, on the grazing manners, and I'm sure you have many examples where we can use behaviors to reinforce our horses. Do you have anything that comes to mind? Do you want to start a little bit with the grazing? Well, we can, because a lot of people get very frustrated about their horses diving 
for grass and they start thinking of the grass as this evil thing, you know, this sort of huge distraction and, and something that keeps them from really being able to work successfully in a particular area. And they're so culturally programmed to push against the things that we don't like that we fail to see it as an opportunity. Hmm. And it's, it's, you know, what Susan Friedman would call the cultural fog. And we just don't, we don't think of the grass as something that's uh, positive. We just think of it as a huge nuisance and a distraction. So it's a great training ground for learning how to shift our framing, our thinking. With the horses, you, you take them out uh, into an area where they would like to graze, and you let them take you to a nice bit of grass and put their head down. You don't resist that at all. You let them graze for a couple of bites, and then and you've got them on a lead rope, and then you you use the lead. So you slide down the lead using bone rotations, and you uh, ask the horse to come up. And how you lift a horse's head is described in that article so that it's not huge tug-of-war that turns into a mess. It's uh, just a technique for for using those bone rotations and the horse's head pops up. So the article you're referring to is an article that you wrote on grazing manners, and it's already in the Equiosity Library. Yes. Anyone who wants to read this, it was a bonus material for episode eight. And the library is free. All you have to do is register. Uh, there's, a, there's a place on the website, on equiosity.com uh, website, where you just put your name, email address. We'll send you back the password for the library. And you'll see there's lots of bonus material for various episodes uh, that uh, we've put up there over the past, has it been two years or more? I don't know. We're heading into our third year in March. Yeah. <laughs> right. So there's Pretty a lot amazing. of material there. And there's one called Grazing Manners, bonus material, episode eight. And there's a, a step-by-step uh, description of how to do this. But if, if anyone wants to have it as a reminder, but uh, yeah. yeah. So, so you slide down the lead rope and you use bone rotation. The horse brings his head up and... As he's bringing his head up, you click and you reinforce so that he's getting the food sort of level with the point of his shoulder. And you immediately go into grown-ups and it's click, treat, click, treat. So very tight loop. And then you release the horse. You offer him the opportunity to put his head down and graze again. And you let him take a couple of bites and then you slide down the lead rope and you ask him to come up. And as he comes up, it's click, treat. And then it's you go into grown-up. So that body language is cueing. Stand here with your head up and you click and reinforce him. And then you gradually you follow the loopy training mantra. When a loop is clean, you get to move on. And not only do you get to move on, but you should move on. So that means that you gradually you can ask him to keep his head up for a little bit longer. You can slow down. So instead of it being click treat, you know, in fairly quick, rapid um, succession, it's, it's you give him the treat, a thousand one, a thousand two, 
click, give them a treat, 1,001, 1,002 in grown-ups, and you just gradually expand out the duration. And then when he's, you've done that for a couple of rounds, you then ask him to walk with you, and you go find uh, what looks to our eyes as a nice patch of grass. From the horse's point of view, we, will, we tend to pick just the worst grass. We're not very good at it, but they forgive us. And so you, you walk just a couple of strides and you to another patch of grass and you offer him the opportunity to graze. And it doesn't take long for the horses to just really relax about the grass because they begin to understand that you are going to give them the opportunity to graze. And, and so they don't need to be anxious about it. You're going to let them graze. And so the grass becomes a wonderful additional reinforcer. And you can begin to ask for more things, to walk further, to do more complicated things on the grass. And the horse, your horse will stay focused on you instead of diving for the grass. And it's a great, great relationship builder because you're out there with your horse, spending time with your horse in one of his favoriteest activities, which is always good. And you're helping him to find the very best grass. Oh, you've been eating there really for a couple of minutes, but I think I've spotted even better grass. Let's go find it. And the horses catch on to this game and they really, they really seem to enjoy it. And they enjoy the relationship part of it as uh, I think very much. So it's a it's a nice activity. And and for those people who are in the same climate zone as we are, I mean, I don't know about you, but we had our first snow this morning. Did yes. you? Yes. Oh no, we had our first snow last yeah. week. Oh last we beat you to it. Oh okay. yes. so here we had like a good three inches this morning. But you yeah. can still play the game in the arena with hay in a big bucket or something like that. It you yeah. know, it doesn't have because it's kind of right here right now not the season for grazing, right. but somewhere else it's it is. <laughs> so. Right. I I'm just back from Australia. I spent yeah. 5 days in Australia via Zoom, you know, socially distanced. Did you know, so I I So did for it them it's good. <laughs> so, yes, we had a, a, just an amazing an amazing clinic. Ah. Oh. It was, it was so good. And so they're talking about spring and going into summer and talking about it's about to get hot. And I'm thinking, there's snow coming down. It's, <laughs> you know, it's such an amazing planet. So, yeah, and, and even at this time of year, there still can be a lot of good quality hand grazing. And people, if they're further south, they, may, they can go out and, and graze. And you can certainly do similar kinds of things in the arena. And it's a great exercise in emotional control. I've used it with horses in the arena. I've used it with horses who tend to do a lot of just pulling and dragging, Hmm. you know, that sort of dragging you out to turn out because they're just so anxious and eager to get to something that they want. So this is not I'm trying to get away from something that scares me. This is, I want to get to something that I really want, like turnout or that delicious patch of grass. So if you can, you put small hay piles down in your arena and you let the horse take you to the first hay pile. 
And then uh, it's the same principle. You let them eat for a couple uh, bites in that hay pile. Then you ask them to bring their head up and you do the same procedure. But now after you've, they've uh, been at that hay pile for a little bit, then you walk them to the next hay pile. And it's just a really nice exercise because you, you, you'll have then a horse who graciously will leave food. And I've, I've known just, you know, I've seen so many horses that once they've, they've dived down onto whatever it is that they want to eat, whether it's their uh, grain bucket or their, you know, their, their evening hay, if for any reason you need them to come up and, and leave the food, it can be a real tussle. But once you've gone through this procedure, it's just so pleasant because if you do need to move a horse off of food for whatever reason, they do it so graciously and so safely. Yeah, it's a good idea if it's too much to do it with the grass. It's a good idea to do it with the hay because sometimes... Hay is less. Of, it's less, you know, they, they, they yeah. have access to hay more in yeah. general than they would to really good grass so it may be a good idea to do it uh yeah. with hay first one thing too that you do do is that you keep the leash short so that you know to make sure that they don't get the reinforcer when they're not supposed to you don't have to do it very often you don't correct them but as you keep the leash short they can't get to the hay right so, so when they when they come up so when when you ask them to come up yeah and, and they're in grown-ups, the lead is short enough that if they start to dive down before you've released them to the grass or the hay, that they would encounter the end of the lead. Yeah. But you're not jerking on it. You're not, you know, you're not swinging the lead. You're not doing anything. You're just you're just being opposed, basically. And, and as, like you said, as they realize that you will allow... They, they do relax. And we see that with the grass and the grazing. Yeah. What's more, much more reinforcing for the horses is staying with us and all the social attention. Yeah. And I always got such a, a chuckle out of uh, our horses when you, know, you open the gate in the early spring when the grass is so wonderful. And they haven't, you know, they haven't had grazing because we, we close the, the fields over the winter. And the horses will stand at the gate and go, no, we don't want to go out. We want to stay with you and play. You, you need to go out. I need to do chores. No, no, we, we'd, rather, we'd rather come back in with you. It's like, oh, you have to go eat. <laughs> go eat. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very fun. It's very fun. So do you have any other ideas that come to mind about behaviors that could be used as reinforcement? Well, the behaviors that you teach become reinforcers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's uh, something that's really important to understand. If you've taught something well, and it has a deep reinforcement history behind it, opening up the opportunity to engage in that activity can be a reinforcer for the preceding behavior. Mm -hmm. And that's how cues work, that a cue invites the next behavior and also reinforces the preceding behavior. But if you've put a high, you know, like mats, you've put a high 
rate of uh, reinforcement, a, a deep history of reinforcement, it's a better way of phrasing it, deep history of reinforcement on around going to a mat, being on a mat, then when you send a horse to a mat, it's like, oh, it's great, I get to go stand on the mat. So we need to be very aware that the things that we are teaching can be used as reinforcers. You know, it's it's funny because all these behaviors, these high probability probability behaviors, there's there's a comment that you made during the course, which I think is so true. It was more about dog, but I think it applies to horses too. But, you know, you said something about when you take a dog and you put it in a human environment, a lot of the training is about suppressing doggy behaviors. You know, what a dog would naturally engage in are behaviors that people don't like or don't want. They love dogs until the dogs start acting like a dog. And yes. then they want to suppress the behavior. So it's it's an interesting approach. Instead of suppressing the dogginess in your dog, you use the very thing that make him a dog and reinforce him for what you want. So you live with a dog. How would, how would that work? Well, let's say, for instance, it can be so many things. You know, we all know how most dogs really like going for a walk outside, and sometimes they'll just go through your legs, through the door. So you could use wanting to go out to reinforce sitting in front of the door politely and calmly. What about the doggy things of jumping up on people, chewing your your favorite slippers. Yeah, so jumping uh, up on people. I mean, what what we we want is for the four paws to be on the ground. So the what people what the dog want is the attention being mostly touched, petted by the person who just arrived. And so um we'll use the the petting for Reinforcing the four paws on the ground, which usually people don't do. I mean, the the dog gets touched when two paws are on the on the lap. The other thing was which one was it? Chewing your favorite slippers. Oh, chewing your favorite slippers. Well, for me, chewing your favorite slippers would be a management thing to start with. I wouldn't leave <laughs> my slippers when a young dog is out there, and I would make sure that it has something else to chew on. In the dog world, there are so many because we live with them all the time. So it's easy to see what they want also. They're very expressive yes, <laughs> in terms of what they want. So are the horses, I think. And sometimes what the horses want so you have to look at the function of a behavior. Yeah. And sometimes what the horses want is distance. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, they... It's, well, you can give that too, you know. Yes. You, you want, like, I, I remember, I know in the course, I think we talk about it. I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast, but um, Bonanza was not very keen on going into the shower uh, stall. And so while I was training him to get into the shower stall, and I'm not even talking without the water even. So in the beginning, I was just clicking and treating him for moving towards. But when I really started making progress was when I added leaving the stall. 
backing away from the stall as a reinforcer for going forward. So I did both click and treat and moving backwards. And that really seemed to accelerate the learning because I think that that's where they feel they have control. You know, when, yes. they, when they want the distance, if you give them a treat, they don't feel that they have control. Whereas if, you know, you, you're backing up and you're making it clear that it's their behavior that is producing the backing up, they feel more in control. And then they will accept going in more readily because they feel they have control to go out if they need to. Which means that really, ultimately, if we look at what's going on, we could say that the real, in a broad category, the real reinforcer is control. Yeah. You know, that part of what makes the clicker training so much fun for horses is they feel like they have control. Yeah. You know, that they're not being forced into things. And, oh, look, added bonus. I can get my person to reach into her pocket and hand me a carrot. This is the coolest thing ever. So, you know, it really does... Uh, give them such a, a, a feeling, such a, a security of they have some say in what is about to happen. And I think that's really what they want. At the end of the day, that's really what they want. And I think more and more, that's what we want for our animals. You know, it's, um, it's funny because I just heard something this week Um there's a program, a dog training program, which I don't watch because I watched the first five minutes and I knew it wasn't my cup of tea. But it's it's become apparently pro- popular here in Quebec. I heard there was a big, like the, the TV station got a lot of emails this week because there was basically the reason why I wasn't watching is because he's using both food and punishment together. So you know, it's so I, I wasn't very interested. So in this episode, apparently there was a dog who was afraid of water and he forced the, the dog into the lake. Ooh, I'm sure you've seen, you know, the dog on the slippery floor that is left in the middle of the floor. I mean, it's flooding, right? And we right. all know by now that there are much better strategies gradual strategies where you can approach uh, whatever the scary thing is without having all the side effects and without taking the risk, too, of creating an even bigger problem. Yes. So anyway, there was this big uproar. And, you know, it's good because we are this, I think society is changing towards animals. This kind of thing, you know, a few years back, people would have thought, oh, the experts said that on TV, so that must be the way to do it. And now more and more people are becoming educated, are changing their perspectives. And so, you know, the TV station sure heard about it, that people were not comfortable with this method. Yeah. That's excellent. It is. So we are making progress. Bit by bit, yeah. Yeah. we're making progress. And we're, we're seeing the alternatives and we're understanding some of what we have done in the past is, is uh, not what we want to carry forward into the future. Right. I think that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. 
I mean, I know, I know when I was in nursery school, they didn't have us run and scream to show us to be quiet and focus on the blackboard. But I think that must be pretty cool if you're now in a nursery school like that. Yes. Yes. That's a very different, that certainly is different from my memory of what was done when there was too much rambunctious behavior. And I think, I think that approach is a much, uh, a much kinder and more effective one at the end of the well, day. Yeah, and you know, the the other thing to think about, too, is that sometimes it's not really the behavior that's the problem. It's just when the animal chooses to engage in that behavior. Well, that yes. Can, you know, if you're, um, you know, in the course, Mary gives the example, or, or maybe it's in the material, that it's fine for your horse to roll in the dirt, but it's not when you just finished riding and he has his saddle on. Exactly. Exactly. There are no bad behaviors. There's just behaviors in the wrong context. That's right. There's nothing that a horse does that at some point in his life experience that that behavior is not totally appropriate in what we want. Yep. But it's all it's all a matter of context. And I think too, when we start thinking about well, what are the other reinforcers that we can use, particularly when it comes to horses. I think one of the things that always makes me wonder about is why are you needing, trying, wanting to get away from food? And and that just goes back to having been one of the early pioneers in this work where when I started teaching clicker training, the use of food in training was just so pushed against you mm. just didn't do it if you use food you're going to ruin that horse you've heard it you know you heard it with the stallions if you use food with those stallions they're going to they'll be biting. You and bite you right yeah. and you had horse you had stallions that were biting and then we clicker trained them and they weren't biting that's right so, <laughs> so there you go that there's still for many people uh, there's a reluctance to really embrace the food it's okay i'll use it but how quickly can i get away from it can i just click because it's a conditioned reinforcer and and after a while the the click itself becomes reinforced you know you hear all this stuff and so i do always wonder what's the motivation behind wanting to look for other reinforcers and it certainly is, it's a there's a there's certainly a it's appropriate to to broaden out your reinforcers. But with horses, because they're grazing animals, they can eat so much. And with dogs, there's a limit to how much how many uh, pieces of hot dog you can feed a chihuahua before you filled it up. But Well, I don't know, some Labrador there's no end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but because they're large, because they're a grazing animal, you can feed a lot of little pieces of... Uh, Although you do have the colic issue that you you should always keep in mind, though. You know, there's there's also, I think, a limit. But I'll tell you, some of the people who've asked me these questions were actually, they had no reluctance with food at all. It was more that they came from the dog world and they felt they had this big toolbox of all kinds of reinforcers and they were coming into the horse world and wondering if they could have as many uh, variations, you know, of, of reinforcers because it's kind of fun when 
you're with a dog and that you can do a little bit of that, a little bit of this. It's not always about, oh, when can I stop using food? These people are using food a lot, um, have been for many, many years. They just want to know what can they do with a horse, you know, compared to, to a dog. And like you said, I think once you've taught behavior as well, retrieving, going to a mat, doing all these fun trained behaviors can be reinforcing for a horse too. Yes. And they're usually put into a loop in which, you know, you will, you'll have a long sequence where it's, you may be offering this beautiful moment of trot and then it's go to a mat, go into grown-ups and then click and treat. So there will be a the click followed by food will be in that sequence somewhere, but you will also be including other behaviors which act as reinforcers as well. So it's it's not necessarily that you've dropped the food out entirely, but that your longer sequence includes behaviors that you have trained well that can act as conditioned reinforcers. Yeah. And, and certainly that, we've we've all we all know that during insect season scratching can be pretty reinforcing. Yes, it can. And and that's another point is that some horses might like this and other horses not at all. So it's very individual. We've said that many times. It's true. You you have to be in tune with your animal and see what he likes yep. at this yep. moment in this context which may be different than another context and another time. That's right. That's right. And it just makes you think more creatively in your training and to keep you on the lookout for what your horse does find reinforcing. And always it's seen from the horse's perspective. And the other thing that, you know, we certainly discuss a lot at the beginning of the course is how can you tell if something is reinforcing? Well, you look at whether the behavior will be stronger in the future. Because if the behavior, that's how you know if it's reinforcing or not. If the the animal does more of what he was doing when you were reinforcing, then it is reinforcing. Otherwise, it's not reinforcing to this particular animal. Yes. So it's not a subjective evaluation. You know, the future behaviors will tell you whether... This behavior was reinforced or not reinforced. So speaking of the course. Yeah. So so we want to make it accessible to people who still want to register. So till the end of the year, we'll have a special promotion on the Listen and Learn course. So in the store, people can find it there. This will be starting this week. This promotion will be starting this week and up until December 31st. Excellent. So if you want to give yourself a a nice Christmas present or give a friend a nice Christmas present, uh, there's the Listen and Learn audio course on an introduction to applied behavioral analysis. And the discount is 25%. And so it's a great time to register for the course. And it's, it's it's set up so that you can go through it at your own pace. You're not signing up for a class where everybody starts at the same time and you have to turn up at a specific time and and then you think, oh, that's not ever going to fit into my schedule. It's set up so just like these podcasts, you can listen to it at your own pace, in your own schedule, 
and make use of it so that it fits well into your current life. And since it's an audio course, you can listen to it while you're driving, while you're doing, you know, marking the stalls. And then there's all the accompanying material that you will get at your computer, all the links and text that and videos that Mary Hunter added, which are very relevant, enriching. Yeah, she added a, just yeah. some great material, great material to the course. Yeah. So go to equosity.com and you'll find both the registration form to get into the library if you want to look at the grazing article. And then also you can look, go to the store section of the website and you'll find the Listen and Learn audio course. And hopefully you'll sign up for it and we'll see you in the forum uh, for the course, and that would be grand. So I think this is a good stopping point for now. So Dominique will will say uh, goodbye, and, and hopefully your your snow will melt quickly. <laughs> you, you won't have to shovel it. Yeah, and, no, I don't think so. It's kind of pretty right now, actually. But yeah. of course, there's always the worry. I mean, Woody has shoes. So those ah. early snows are always a, a bit of a worry. I don't want yes. them to slip. That's right. So that's, that's right. why I want it to melt. And it's supposed yes. to be 17 uh, Celsius at the end of the week. So we should be okay in terms of snow melting. So yes. I'll see you next week. Yes, very good. Bye. Bye. As you've just heard, we're offering a discount on the Listen and Learn audio course. We've just finished up a promotion on the webinars that we recorded. Those webinars were with Dr. Jesus Rizal Ruiz, Dr. Susan Friedman, and Ken Ramirez. I want to thank everyone who ordered the webinars during the month of October. Not only did you get a discount on the purchase price of the webinars, but we're also making a donation to the UC Davis Veterinary Emergency Response Team for their work in assisting horses during the recent California fires. So thank you everyone who helped us raise money for BERT by ordering the webinars. My virtual clinic with the California group is coming up. We've had to postpone the clinic twice because of the fires. So if you'd like to join us for that clinic, it's December 5th and 6th, 2020, and we'll be having our usual evening introductions earlier in the week. There may be a couple of spots left. I'm, I'm not sure at this juncture whether we have any space left or not. You can check out the details in the events section of my website. That's theclickercenter.com. Hopefully the weather has changed for everyone on the West Coast and the 2020 fire season is over and done with. My heart certainly goes out to all of you who were impacted by the fires. And for everyone else, I know this has been such a tough year. So stay well, stay safe, and enjoy the holidays. 